Well, if you'll take a Bible and let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to continue in our study through the Sermon on the Mount. Really glad you're here tonight. Glad that you that you want to be here tonight. That you want to be is encouraging. And so we turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we're we're uh, we're going to be looking tonight at verses. Actually, we're going to read verses 17 through 20. We looked at verses 17 through 19 last week. Our focus tonight is going to be on verse 20. But we're going to read verses 17 through 20. Jesus said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, last week, again, we looked at verses 17 through 19. Jesus tells us clearly that he has not abolished the law. Uh, that would be, you know, that would include, that would include the Ten Commandments. Uh, that, that's just a comprehensive way of the law and the prophets. That's just a comprehensive way of, of speaking of the entirety of God's law, the Old Testament law. Uh, so Jesus has not come to abolish it. Therefore, we, we talked about last week the place of God's law in the life of a Christian. Very important to understand the place of God's law in the life of a Christian. And while we are not justified before God by our efforts to keep the law, yet because God has given the believer a new heart and given us his spirit, we're told in Ezekiel the requirements of the law will be fulfilled in us as we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus has not abolished the law so neither can we, as New Covenant believers, abolish the law. We are still to obey the law, not, not rely on the law, but obey the law in doing it as we are enabled by the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, is uh, what we're looking at tonight. So I want you to begin by imagining something with me. Because Jesus says here that, our righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. We'll explain that in just a minute. But if it doesn't, we, won't, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty serious. Pretty serious indictment. So we, we better know what this means, and we better do it. <laughs> so imagine this with me. Imagine that there is, a, there is a woman. Let's take a woman who has paid for, has prepared and delivered 1,000 meals for the homeless in a year's time. And she's done this. Again, she's paid for this. Uh, nobody's helped her. She, she's done all of this in her spare time. She's worked a full-time job uh, caring for some children, maybe caring for her elderly parents. Um, and so someone comes along and tells you, that you have to exceed that, okay? You, you have to exceed that. 
uh, she, she's provided, paid for, provided, delivered 1,000 meals for the homeless. And she's done this in her spare time. And somebody tells you, you, you have to exceed that. What will you do? What will you do? So I want you to ponder that. Just kind of tuck that away in the back of your mind as we look at this verse. Now, here's the questions that we're going to attempt to ask and to answer. First, what does Jesus mean by righteousness? What does that mean? Also, what was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? What does he mean by that? Because that's what we're supposed to exceed, so we need to know what that is. Thirdly, what does it mean to exceed? Okay, once, once we know what the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is, what does it mean for us to, to exceed that? And then one final question we'll get to, do we enter the kingdom of God by grace or through our own righteousness? Because Jesus says here, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. But then that kind of sounds like works righteousness. That sounds like, that sounds like Jesus is saying we need to earn our way in. So is it, is it by grace or is it by our own righteousness? Which one is it? So we'll look at that finally. So first, what is, what is righteousness? Jesus calls righteousness. Now notice is Jesus, in verse 20, Jesus calls righteousness a requirement for entrance into the kingdom of God. So we need to know what this is, right? I mean, he says it, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what is righteousness? A simple definition, a simple definition is this. Righteousness is conformity to God's demands. Or another way of saying it, righteousness is conformity to God's law. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's conforming. It's, it's lining up with. It's lining up with God's demands. Another, another person put it this way. Righteousness is whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. It's whole person behavior. Notice the whole of the person. Okay? Whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. Now, I want to give you a couple examples that we don't often think of when we think of righteousness. So what we're trying to do is just better understand what is righteousness. So take your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 1, okay? Just a few chapters before chapter 5. In Matthew 1, we read an interesting detail about Joseph, okay? Joseph. Uh, You remember an angel comes to Joseph and tells him that Mary's going to bear a child. And, 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 and in Matthew 1 and 19, notice, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, okay? A just man is a righteous man. It's another way of, of, of saying that. In, other fact, in fact, other translations have righteous man. He was, was being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, what does it mean here? That, that the Holy Spirit would want us to know that Joseph was a righteous man. And so what does that tell us about righteousness? Well, Joseph will not condemn Mary, but rather break off their relationship quietly so that she does not come into shame and reproach. That's what we learn in that verse. Remember, he, 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 
he finds out she, you know, she's pregnant with child. And so he could, he could go public and say, you, you, you trash, you, you know, you trashy woman, you know, what, what is, you know, he, he could, he could have just really ripped her publicly, but what's he do? He doesn't condemn her. Rather, he quietly breaks off the relationship so that there's no shame and no reproach. And by doing that, the Holy Spirit says, he's a righteous man. He's righteous. Now, that's, that's, that's a little, little interesting thing here to remember about what righteousness is, okay? Now, turn over to Matthew 3 and 15. Once again, we see another example of righteous behavior in Matthew 3 and verse 15. Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And look in verse 14. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, and do you come to me? But look, look at verse 15. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, by this taking place, this is an action or a behavior that's in accord with God's nature, God's will, and God's coming kingdom. In other words, this is what God wants done. And so Jesus is saying, Let's conform to this. This is what this is what God wants. This is what the Father wants. And so we must conform to it. It's righteousness. See? It's righteousness. However, let's keep in mind, let's keep in mind before we go to the next question. The Bible says, speaking of humanity, there is none righteous. No, not one. Let's just kind of hold that intention for just a moment, okay? So what is righteousness? Simple. Conformity to God's demands. Getting in line with what God wants. Okay? Second question. What was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Okay, Jesus mentions this when he says a righteousness has to exceed that. But we need to know what it is before we can ever start exceeding it. All right? So what was the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Now, notice Jesus draws a distinction here. He says, between your righteousness. He's talking to believers. Notice in verse 20, he says, unless your righteousness. So he's talking to his followers. His, his followers who have been saved by grace, those who have experienced the new birth, uh, those who are part of his kingdom. Uh, your righteousness, he's drawing distinction between that and the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, what do we know about the scribes and the Pharisees? Now, see, you've got to remember, again, when this was written, we have to remember the original audience. The original audience would have understood this light years beyond what we understand it. Okay? We understand a little bit, hopefully by, you know, by reading and you know, gaining insight, but the original audience, they, they lived among Pharisees and scribes. They, they, they walked among them, lived among them. And so scribes and Pharisees were famous for their righteousness. They were famous. They were well known for their righteousness. It was assumed that among those allowed into heaven... Only the righteousness of a scribe and Pharisee would make the grade. That was the common thinking in Jesus' day that 
above anybody. You know, we, we say things like, well, if anybody made it to heaven, she would have. You know, we say things like that. Why? Because, you know, we, we're usually, like, this, is a, this is a saint, you see. But in Jesus' day, people thought, if anybody makes it in, if anybody gets in first, it's going to be scribes and Pharisees. Obedience to God's law was the master passion of scribes and Pharisees. In fact, some of you may know this, but the scribes and Pharisees had calculated that God's law contained 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions, and they attempted to keep every one of them. That was their goal. It's like, okay, here, here's it's 248 and 365, and we've got to keep these. But a closer look at the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees shows us that it was not so great after all. How do we know? Turn over to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 and 23. You see, there's what the people thought. The people would say, wow, if anybody gets in, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. So there, there's their version. But now we're going we're gonna to see that Jesus has a way of looking at the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes. In Matthew 23 and 23. Here's a good example of how Jesus viewed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin. These are, these are seeds, herbs, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, what is that? what's that telling us here? Meticulous, meticulous about certain things, Right down to counting seeds and herbs. Okay, got 10 seeds here. We're going to take one of those seeds as a tithe. We're very meticulous about these things. But Jesus talked about the weightier matters. And so, in other words, Jesus is making the distinction here that there's some things regarding the law that are heavier, weightier than others. And what had they done? They neglected those. What are those things? Well, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They, 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 they let up on those. And Jesus said, you know, hey, don't, don't neglect. You don't have to neglect the, the herbs and the seeds, but you ought to have done the weightier matters. So what does he say? What do you scribes and Pharisees, what's he say? Hypocrites? He doesn't, he doesn't say Way to go, your righteousness. Way to go. It's ringing the bell. And way to go, guys. No. He sees deeper. Hypocrites. What do, we, what do we see right away about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? It was skin deep. It was superficial. It was external and ceremonial. In other words, you could see it outwardly, outwardly, but there was something wrong internally. And that's what Jesus is aiming at here. In fact, back up to verse, well, go to verse 25. Yeah, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and indulgence. There it is. Outwardly, cups all clean, pristine, 
what people can see outwardly. That's why people would say, hey, man, if anybody gets in, these guys are going to get in. But Jesus could see the heart. See, their brand, the, the, the brand of righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was a brand of righteousness that insulated them from the law's piercing heart demand. See, the law, the law, the law is not just concerned about the external. It, it, it's a, it lasers in on the heart, you see. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees, their brand of righteousness, you know, avoided, avoided that penetrating laser focus on the heart. And here's what we need to note. Their righteousness is not sufficient to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is clearly saying. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, extremely religious people, off the charts religious people, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. Question number three. What does it mean to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. What does that mean? Well, the word exceed means simply to be much better. Jesus is saying, for my followers, for my people, your righteousness must be much better. Or another way of saying it, it must be superior to that of the scribes and the Pharisees. This might help. This this this. You know, this sentence might help to think it through, okay? Christian righteousness exceeds in kind rather than in degree, okay? Let's go back to the woman, okay? Remember the woman we started with, the woman who paid for, prepared, and delivered 1,000 meals to the homeless. And she did it in her spare time while taking care of her children, her job, and her parents. And you were told to exceed that now our immediate thought might be that to exceed that would be i'm going to have to do 1001 meals <laughs> right that, that might be the natural thought well how do, how do how do i how do i do better than that oh well, I'll, I'll do a thousand one i'll do a thousand and two see that would exceed the woman that would that would exceed the woman in degree right that, that would that would exceed the woman in degree but let's say that we found out, now listen, listen closely. Let's say that we found out that the woman's, the woman's heart really wasn't in it at all. Let, let's say that she did it begrudgingly and she was constantly complaining about it. These homeless people, they just won't work. They won't do that. I, I shouldn't even be doing this for them. They won't try to help themselves at all. And then we find out that she was doing it to seek the praise of others. She was telling everybody in church. She was telling everybody, well, you're not going to believe this week. You're not going to believe it, but I did it for the glory of Jesus. And we found out, well, I say we found out. I don't know if we found out, but it sure seems that she was attempting, she was doing it attempting to earn merit with God. Um, I, I, when, I, when, I, when I was thinking all this through, I thought about uh, uh, Warren Buffett. Um, Warren Buffett, so at, at least at, at, at this time, was the, second, the world's second richest man. And he announced that he was going to donate 
85% of his wealth, which was at $44 billion, okay? And he was going to donate that to five charitable foundations, and he did. But it's what he said that really got the headlines. He's commenting on this extreme level of generosity. Warren Buffett said, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way. You see, that is clearly... That is clearly trying to merit one's way, you see. So, so what, if, what if we found out that this woman, her heart wasn't in it, she really did it begrudgingly, she was seeking the praise of people and trying to earn merit? You see, how would we exceed that? Not in, not in degree, not by doing a thousand and one meals. We would exceed it in kind, Okay. We would exceed it in kind. We, we, would, we would do it to exceed it. A heart would be in it. Certainly wouldn't be seeking the praise of men, the praise of God. We certainly wouldn't be doing it to earn merit. We know that we're saved by grace through faith, not, not by feeding the homeless. Turn over to Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Okay, Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Let's look at a verse that um, might, might help a little bit. Romans 7 and 14, Paul said this, For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. What does that mean? It means that we respond to it, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Spirit who cleanses and renews our heart. In other words, Christian righteousness is a righteousness of the heart. Okay? First and foremost, Christian righteousness is a righteousness of the heart. You might, you might say this. It, it's, not, it's not more and more obedience, okay, but a deeper and deeper obedience, okay? Christ, Christian righteousness is not like I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to pour on more and more and more obedience. No, a deeper and deeper obedience, which, which Jesus is actually going to expound upon in the coming verses. When, when, when we start going through the following verses, you're going to find that Jesus doesn't commend more and more and more obedience, but deeper and deeper obedience. When we resume our study, we're going to discover that Jesus is going to give us six examples of practical righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. We'll get to that. But one last question. We'll spend the rest of our time on this question because it's really important. Because if you read this verse, now some, some people would read this verse and would not have a problem with it. Um, right away they would go, I know, I, know, I know what it appears, but I also know that when I put this verse in context with all of the rest of the New Testament, I know that it doesn't teach that I will earn my salvation by Righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. On the other hand, someone could read this and say, wait a minute, you know, this is kind of troubling. I mean, if somebody asked me, somebody came to me with this verse, how would, how would I explain it? And so let's take a moment uh, because some, some of this sounds, some of this sounds as, as, as th that we enter the kingdom through law-keeping or righteous-keeping. Is that true? Again, look at, look at verse Go back, go back and look at verse 19 for just a moment, okay? 
uh, Matthew, Matthew 5 and 19, and notice what Jesus said there. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches those who do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Now, when you read that, you, you might be inclined to go, hmm, that kind of sounds like that it is by keeping the law that, that, that I get in, that I'm, I, that, I, that I'm solidly in the kingdom by, by law-keeping, law-relying, okay? Um, and then in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that. You know, so exceeding righteousness, you've got to have that or you will not get in the kingdom of heaven. So what does all of this lead to? What does this mean? And so let's take a few minutes to unpack this. Our attitude toward God's law is an index of our attitude toward God himself. Let's start there. If, 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 if there's a person who says, look, I, I'm not worried. Look, all I'm interested in is Jesus. I'm just interested in Jesus. Don't care a hoot about the law. I'm not worried about the law. I just love Jesus. Our attitude towards God's law is an indicator of our attitude toward God himself. If we, if we have a low regard for the law of God, that shows that we have a low regard for God himself because the law is a great indicator of the character and the person of God. If we have an antagonism toward God's law, we show that we are strangers to the promise of the new covenant in Christ. Remember what, remember what Ezekiel 36 says, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to give you my spirit, that, wow, that you may, it may cause you to keep my rules and keep my statutes, keep my law. I'm going to help you keep my law. So God doesn't have a low regard for the law. And if we do, if we have an antagonism toward it or a low regard for it, it shows that we are absolute strangers to the new covenant promise in Christ. However, law-keeping is not the basis on which we merit salvation. Now, we know that. Hopefully, we know that. We'll, we'll plow into that in just a second. However... Law-keeping does provide a test to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and outside of it. In other words, if you've got a person who just simply says, look, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus. I know it's not law-keeping, but they have no regard for God's law. That, again, kind of helps us see whether they're really in the kingdom or whether they're not. I mean, remember, remember Jesus, remember, you remember, right, and we're going to get to this later, Matthew 7, where Jesus said, you know, there's going to be many in that day, say, Lord, Lord, you know, and, and he's, he's going to say, depart from me, you lawless ones. I never knew you. That is incredible. Depart from me, those of you who have an antagonism toward God's law. Those of you who have no regard for God's law. Those of you who have gone off the rails concerning God's law. Depart from me. I never knew you. You were never in relationship with me. So law keeping is not the basis upon which we merit salvation. However, it does provide a test to distinguish between those who are in the kingdom and outside the kingdom. 
It's the real test of whether we've been born again or not. Really. So let's take a moment to sort this out, okay? And I think, I think this is in your notes. To me, this, to me, this is helpful because you go, wait a minute, hold it here. Um, how, how can we make a distinction? And, and the distinction I think is best is positional righteousness and practical righteousness, all right? I want, I want us to, we've got 10 minutes to pack this in. I want us to look at it real close, okay? Positional righteousness and practical righteousness. You and I have to get a handle on this or it's going to get real confusing in the Christian life, okay? By perfectly obeying God's law, Christ merited righteousness for those who trust in him. And this is what we call positional righteousness. In other words, Christ kept the law perfectly, okay? Perfectly, as opposed to us who didn't keep it perfectly. He kept it perfectly. And for those who trust in him, we are now given a positional righteousness through him. Okay? Uh, l- 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 let, me, let me see if I got this. Yeah, here, here you go. I think this will help. I think this is good. Uh, here's, here's a man talking. He said, I have a small collection of baseball cards. The card that is worth the most is called Future Stars, and it's valued at $100. There are three players on this card. The first is Jeff Snyder. Snyder played one year of professional ball, pitched in 11 games, and gave up 13 earned runs in those 11 games. Not a very good player, okay? He was on the card, future star. The second player is Bobby Bonner, who played four years of baseball, but only appeared in 61 games with eight runs batted and no home runs. Not all that great, okay? The third future star on this card played 21 years for the Baltimore Orioles, appeared in 3,001 games. He came to bat 11,551 times, collected 3,184 hits and 431 home runs, and batted in 1,695 runs. His name is what? Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken Jr. Now, now imagine if you met Bobby Bonner and you shook hands and boasted, did you know that my baseball card is worth over $100? You would laugh because you know the worth of that card has nothing to do with him, right? Okay. That's how it is when you come to Christ and point to your good works or statistics and ask, is that good enough? If you want to hold up your stats to God, you don't have a chance. But when you put your faith in Christ... His statistics become yours, and your baseball card becomes worth a lot more because of someone else's stats, right? Understand? Bobby Bonner and Jeff Snyder's baseball card is worth $100, not because of their stats, but because of what someone else has done. That's positional righteousness. Positional righteousness is Jesus' own righteousness that is imputed on our behalf and it infinitely exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. When God credits righteousness, he is conferring a legal status on us. He treats us as actually righteous and free from condemnation. That's why Paul says, There's there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're, we're positionally righteous, free from condemnation. Listen, even though there are still, there's still actual unrighteousness in our behavior. Now listen, 
we are, we are declared positionally righteous because of faith in Christ, because in what he has done. But while you are positionally righteous, there is still unrighteousness in our behavior, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So what, what do we do about that? Well, um, I'm running out of time, so I'm trying to decide what, what, to, what to put in and what, what not to put in. Um, through, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, okay, we've, we've seen this already and we'll continue to see it. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls to a deeper understanding of radical obedience to the law as reflective of the character of God. And so, so, so on one hand, okay, we're, we're, not, we're not relying upon the law, but through the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see that Jesus is calling us to an obedience to the law. So Christians are to joyfully obey the law out of love for Christ, and this obedience, now listen, this obedience will bear practical righteousness, okay? We have positional righteousness. We're, 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 declared, we're declared righteousness because of the merits of Christ, but we are called to obedience, and that obedience produces or bears what would be called practical righteousness. What, what is practical righteousness? It is moment by moment, day by day, obedience to our Lord. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week. It's, it's, it's what the Bible describes often as, you, know, you hear the word walk. We walk. It, it uses that metaphor of walking, okay? Uh, or, or running the race. There's different metaphors that it uses. But on a journey, it's moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year by year, obedience to our Lord. Although in God's eyes you are righteous in Christ, you must also pursue righteous behavior with the aid of the Holy Spirit. So we're positionally righteous, but we're also called to practical righteousness. In other words, our here, here it is. Our practice should match our position. And if you want a good verse for that, you can look it up later in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. You know, walk worthy of your calling. You, you, you've, been, you've been called by the gospel. You've answered the call. Okay, great. Positional righteousness. But now walk. Another word for that is live out. Live out your calling or practice your position. That's what Paul meant when he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't mean try real hard and maybe, you'll, maybe God will accept you. No. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's called practical righteousness. Put it into practice. Uh, this practical righteousness is not the basis of salvation. But listen, it exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes because their obedience did not come from their heart, and it's a mark that we have truly been saved and thus will enter the kingdom of God. So that's why we say righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees is not 1,001 meals or 1,002 meals. The righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees is righteousness that issues from joyful obedience in kind rather than degree. 
those of us who are in Christ have been saved from the law of God as the necessary means of salvation, but we have also been saved to the law of God as a way of loving and worshiping the God who has saved us. So we've got about four minutes. Is there any any observations, any questions, any thoughts about what we've looked at? Really simple, right? Really simple. Um, we we are we are called to righteous living. Thank God for our positional righteousness. Without Christ, without Christ, without His obedience, no positional righteousness. But praise God for positional righteousness. But but then, you know, we're called to practical righteousness. Thank God for Christ as well, because He has given us His Spirit to empower us. Right? Yeah, I'll give you a new heart. Give you my Spirit. So we're called, brothers and sisters, we're called to exceeding righteousness. And again, without that, what Jesus say in verse 20? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Um, that's, pretty, that's, pretty, that's pretty stern. But not, not undoable, okay? It doesn't come down to 1,001 meals, does it? Right? No. Comes down, it comes down to heart righteousness, right? Anybody? Anybody? Let me ask you a question. Do you, do you understand? Do you understand what it means for your righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? You understand that? Okay, I hope you do because if you don't, see me after the service because this is really important. Because here's what we're going to find out. Now, next Wednesday night, 4th of July, we will not be having service due to the holiday. But when we come back two weeks from tonight, we will see. We'll begin. Jesus gives six solid examples of what it looks like, what exceeding righteousness looks like. If you want to read ahead, you can. It starts with anger, okay? Uh, Thou shalt not murder, you know? Uh, he no, just, just recognize that what you read after this, you'll see six examples of exceeding righteousness because Jesus, Jesus doesn't just throw it out there and go, well, your righteousness better exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. He doesn't just throw it out there. He places it out there and he said, now, let me give you some examples to help you and help us, they will, okay? If you'll stand, we'll be dismissed. Really glad you're here tonight and you're here, I know, because you want to be, and that's encouraging to me. So thank God for you. Father, thank you for these dear people. Lord, thank you for their willingness, their desire to be here, and uh, the desire to, to, to want to know, thus saith the Lord. A desire to live out practical righteousness, a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And Lord, if I thought that we had to do this in our own strength, I would just say we need to give up now. But you have given us your spirit. May we go this week and walk in step with the Holy Spirit. May we be being filled with the spirit, be under the influence of the spirit each day that we might render joyful obedience to our Lord that will produce practical righteousness for the glory of our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.